by decentering work, I was able to figure out what's the life where I can thrive. And then that counterintuitively enables you to focus only on the things where you'd actually succeed. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Karshavsky, and welcome to episode 144 of That Remote Life podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Paul Millard, the author of the new book, The Pathless Path. In his book, Paul talks about his life going from a small-town Connecticut kid to achieving his dream of working at one of the most prestigious consulting firms in the world. But after working in his dream job, Paul found that at the end of the day, it wasn't what he wanted from his life, thus launching him on a new and unexpected adventure. This book is a personal journey of awakening and is an ideal companion for people considering leaving their jobs, embarking on a new path, dealing with the uncertainty of an unconventional path, or searching for better models for thinking about work in a fast-changing world. And during this interview, Paul and I really dove in deep on these topics and tried to unpack them, from why work holds such a central place in our lives, if we should rely on our work to bring us meaning, and what living a pathless path lifestyle looks like on the day-to-day. But before we jump into this interview, make sure that you subscribe to my weekly newsletter, Remote Insider. Every Monday morning, I send out a brief but informative email that includes an insight into some of the things I'm thinking about, the top news from the world of remote work and location independence, resources, upcoming events, and so much more. To sign up, just head over to thatremotelife.com forward slash remote insider. It's completely free and it's been called by one of my friends as my best product to date. So you definitely don't want to miss out. Finally, I would love to hear what you think about this podcast. I've made it very easy to leave a review. All you have to do is just head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL and write your review. That's it. It's that easy. It just takes a couple of minutes and it's so helpful to the growth of this podcast. But all right, you guys, I won't take any longer. Without further ado, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Paul Millard. All right, Paul, welcome to the show, man. I am uh, so excited to have you here. Like I was telling you before we hit record, I've been reading your new book, The Pathless Path, and I've been thoroughly enjoying it. So I'm super excited to have you here and to chat. Excited to be here. Let's uh, let's dive in and excited to hear how it resonates with your journey too. So first of all, I need to ask you about, I know this is probably where all of your interviews start and I, <laughs> as an interviewer, I like to ask new and interesting questions to start with just to like, you know, yeah. spice things up. But we got to start here for people to understand this conversation is what is the pathless path? Like, how would you describe that? What was the idea of the book and why did you want to write this book? At a high level, it's a alternative script or story to what I'm calling the default path, which is 
the story we all grow up with. Almost everyone can recite what are the expectations of a sort of average default life to be seen as a successful adult. Um, most people from most countries can recite this. Uh, the pathless path is a sort of permission to explore alternatives um, and to kind of find the others along the way and get a little more sanity as we embrace these unconventional paths. Yeah, it's crazy because this um, this sort of idea of there is a predetermined path for us that we sort of like internalize and we believe is like the law and it's always been the way to do things, right? Like we grow up almost thinking that things have always been this way and things will always be this way. But I remember when I was in high school, a teacher gave me a book called uh, Ishmael and the story of B. I don't know if you've ever mm. heard of this book. Yeah, but it essentially talks about uh, the emergence of agriculture and what life actually was like for hunter-gatherers and how hunter-gatherers were actually these like super happy people. We imagine them being like starving and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, no, no, they just had like what they needed, right? And they didn't like try to do more. And I feel like this idea of like we have this imprinted path or laws that we believe have always been there but they're actually not right. Like it's like a, like what you talk about in the path is path in the book is like the way that we think about work and the nine to five is really only like a hundred years old. Right. Like, can you tell us a little bit more about like, like how did that happen and, and what was work like before that change? Yeah. Our conception of reality is very intertwined with the economic system, right? So as the industrial system emerged and created these things we call jobs, uh, that's how we started to relate to the world. That also emerged in a lot of Western Western countries like the U.S. in a way where those jobs were great deals compared to what came before, which was sort of economic precarity, right? So we got really attached to that idea. And now we're in a time in which many more possibilities exist, except we don't have any alternative story that's taken over. We're still pretty much orienting to that same 1950s script of like, get a job, buy a house, follow the default path. And I think the tension I experienced in my life, and I see in a lot of digital nomads, freelancers, uh, people that are traveling, living in other countries, probably a lot of people listening to this podcast, is that you sort of see yourself in tension with that default pattern still. I'm a digital nomad. I'm working in Mexico or Bali or Chiang Mai, but I'm still like, I've escaped work. I'm not on that. Mm -hmm. I'm, in, I'm in like tension with that path. And I think what I really was searching for was what is an organic bottom-up story that doesn't have to be in tension with that. And that's sort of my path too, which is wanting to escape my job towards now. I'm much more thinking around how do I positively build a relationship with my work, my life, the things I want to be doing in a way that's just connected to who I am in the world and what's possible rather than, oh, I need to prove everyone wrong. Mm. How did that, how did that change occur? Like in your research for the book, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in, because in order for us to sort of rewrite the future path, right? Like if we want to say like, hey, the way that we're seeing things working right now, uh, we want to change that, right? So that we don't have that 
uh, that relationship with work that can sometimes be sort of um, unhealthy, right? And we want to rewrite that path. How was that that path originally written, like before World War II, right? Like, how do we find ourselves in this position historically, where you know, go to college, get a job, buy a house, sort of became the the established path? It's a hard question to answer. I think how I look at it is the people that have reached out to me are often people like you who it wouldn't matter what century you're born in. You probably have this natural impulse to explore, to do things a bit different, to kind of carve your own path, right? And for most of history, those people were either shamed or just put enormous costs uh, upon them by the system, right? And so this impulse has always existed. Uh, it's just that more recently, the upsides to kind of following the rules are much higher, right? You can, for the average person, you can more easily kind of follow the path of getting a job, following the rules, getting going to school, getting good grades in a way that arguably in countries like the U.S. will just like casually make you well off mm -hmm. right now that doesn't work for a lot of people and um i think what i'm most interested in is how do we connect this like possibility of things we can do in today's world with the people that are already on that so I, I don't see the emergence of the default path as like a bad thing. Like mm. the fact that you can just work a normal job and like more than meet your basic needs. And when I'm talking basic needs, I'm talking about like food, shelter, um, warmth, um, basic health, right? It's pretty incredible. Like we have billions of people that are able to do that. And many people want that. Like they, they're trying to solve this basic human insecurity of like the impermanence of life and our fears of not being secure and not having a predictable life by following this path. And it works fantastic for people, right? But like me, I'm not writing for them. Mm. Um, some people on those paths like get more out of like reading what I'm writing about and like imagining a broader conception. Um, but I'm mostly writing for people like you and people listening to this podcast. And I think one interesting thing from my experience was a slow waking up to realizing, oh, I'm not 5% different than the consultants I'm working with. I'm probably like one or two standard deviations <laughs> different. And it took me a really long time to see the possibilities of my own path. Like it was a very slow waking up process. It was like reading a book here, being exposed to a podcast there. It was my first like one month trip abroad and then like the pull to do another one month trip abroad. And then during that trip, doing a little work and then saying, well, what if I did it for three months? And then things just sort of snowballed slowly. Um, and it kind of shocked me in a way that I look back and I say, oh, wow. I, I had such a limited imagination for the possibilities of my life in my 20s. And yeah. that was actually not healthy for someone like me who desired this adventure, has this urge to explore and learn. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because when I was reading the book and kind of hearing um, a lot more about your backstory, I like 
I resonated with a lot. Like there was a lot of uh, like similarities and like a lot of like I feel like we experienced a lot of the same things. Um, but the one thing that's interesting is you're a little bit older than me, right? And so I kind of like the way that I look at some of these like 13, 14 year olds growing up right now with like YouTube and all this stuff. I'm like, you're so lucky. Like this is so crazy. Like yeah. if this was around when I was in high school, oh my God, it'd be so awesome, right? But I think the internet is making this sort of um, alternative path more accessible and shows to Definitely. people that it's possible, right? Like um, an example would be when the four hour work week came out, there were people that were like, hold on, this is like, this sort of thing is possible, right? <laughs> like it almost gave them permission, showed them that it was okay. Yeah. And I think the internet is in some ways doing that where you, you know, it took you a little bit longer to figure that out for yourself because maybe you, you hadn't seen that yet. Right. So do you think that as the internet continues to emerge and show that this is not only possible, but in some ways can be even more profitable, uh, both financially and in terms of lifestyle profit, right? Uh, do you see more people kind of deciding to take this alternative path instead of the nine to five, you know, uh, corporate sort of trajectory? I think that's what's happening. That's what happened in my personal life too. So I think podcasts, um, having people's stories like in my ears, which is a very intimate experience starting in 2014 and listening, finding things like the Tim Ferriss podcast. And then from him finding other people like Derek Sivers doing things a different way. And it was just an explosion of, oh my gosh, these people exist. And even discovering people like Seth Godin, I didn't discover someone like Seth Godin until a little later in my life, I think my 30s. Just knowing he, he was in his 50s at the time, this person is fully alive, engaged with the world, doing creative experiments. This is possible. Like, I don't have to buy into the idea that like, oh, you're going to follow this path. And like, yeah, you kind of have to work in an office and like all these grumpy old men, like the, the grumpy old men around me were not that inspiring. Um, mm. As you were saying that, I was like looking up on my phone. So Instagram, I think is huge too, because it makes these, our imagination, it's visual, it's right in front of us. And we just look at these people and we're like, oh, like this is right here in front of me. I looked up digital nomad, the hashtag. Guess how many people, are, how many posts there are? Like how many mentions of that hashtag? Oh, uh, millions, I'd imagine. Yeah, 3.7 million, right? And so like, I'm just scrolling it. Of course, it's Instagram. Like there are a lot of like attractive young women, but like I'm also seeing families. I'm seeing people from different countries. I'm seeing all different countries. I'm seeing people in, living in vans. I'm seeing people living in tents. I'm seeing like older men, older women. Like it's, it's crazy. Like, and uh, so I think what I'm trying to write about is giving people more of a roadmap for something that one, you can't really have a roadmap, right? That's why I call it the pathless path. But we need something to anchor to, right? Like I think people picture, and this is a problem, like why people don't explore these paths is they mm -hmm. picture the default path is like certainty good. And then what you're doing or I'm doing is like totally uncertain, crazy. That's right. not the reality. 
most people I know doing these paths have either predictable routines or they're not traveling that much. They might go to somewhere for six months and another place for six months, and they sort of have anchors. They also have things they're committed to. They're either committed to like a podcast or committed to writing or committed to some sort of uh, freelance work that they're doing, right? That anchors their life. Um, and then relative to a normal job, are they exploring a lot more? Yes, but it's not as wild and as uncertain as people think. Yeah, the, I, I totally agree with that because like one of my goals, uh, I don't really know what to call it. Like one of my objectives for the last couple of years has been to make entrepreneurship more available and accessible to people. And one of the things that I realized was the reason why I think it's less accessible is because this idea of the entrepreneur is like this, like, you know, cowboy out in the wild, wild west, you know, kind of like doing whatever they want and there's no laws, no rules. While it's so easy to follow that corporate path where you know exactly the steps that you need to take. And it's almost like guaranteed that as long as you follow those steps, you're going to end up somewhere, you know, like making money and whatnot. And for me, the question was always like, how do we make that for entrepreneurship, right? Like how is there some sort of path like this that we can lay out to make this more accessible or perhaps approachable would be a better way to know that, hey, as long as I do this, I'm going to end up here, you know, kind of create some sort of guidebook for that. So uh, I totally relate with that. I want to talk about something that I found very interesting in the book where you talk about how for much of history, work was sort of a means to an end sort of thing, right? Like people focus more on leisure and work wasn't something that they got meaning from, right? right. Uh, while what you talk about in the 20th century is that we started to, as we shifted away from, uh, and you can talk about more about this, uh, God giving us meaning, we kind of found that in, in work. Do you think that's a good thing or should we try to not so much focus on like, like the work being the thing that defines you? I think that's too simple of a framing. So I don't think it's good or bad. I think what's happened is there's sort of a meme that like there is something such as meaningful work. And then what people often pair with that idea of meaningful work is like something they like, like a topic they like, or um, an idea of like an identity they want to be mm -hmm. like, even like, like with startups, right? It's like, I want to be a startup founder. That's crazy. A hundred startups, you're going to have a hundred different experiences, right? So, so I think the problem with this is people are aiming at an idea rather than starting with this first principles approach to thinking about your life of saying like, okay, what drives me? What are my desires? What am I drawn to create, do, uh, help with? And like, how do I scale that up? Right? So people, I mean, I fell into this trap. I was searching for meaningful work. And what I was really searching for was I didn't want, I wanted to stop feeling bad. So I was going from job to job and like every, I, it always just felt off, right? It felt like I wasn't connected. It felt like, and it was that tension that I was trying to fill with like this meme of meaningful work. If I can only find the dream job, if I can only find the perfect fit, the reality was for me that there was no perfect job. 
I know this now because the perfect job for me, like there's no way I could create this bucket of activities that I do now into a job. Like it doesn't exist. I kind of had to create it myself. Um, so I think the challenge with aiming at meaningful work for most people, it does work for some, right? Some people find that job that's like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. I love doing this. I like how it's set up. I don't mind that I have to do it five days a week, 50 weeks a year indefinitely. Um, for me, like that whole structure and like setup of work and like the focus of activities and who I had to work with, like didn't work for me. I don't know if that fully answers the question, but I think, um, pe yeah, people are trying to like meet their lack of fulfillment in like trying to aim at a dream job. And I think they don't even want that, right? They do want to solve that disconnect of what matters to them and what they're working on. But meaning has always existed. And meaning often comes from doing hard things, doing challenging things, and doing things that were connected to us and matter to us. That is independent of a job. Yeah, because... I run into this, like I work with a lot of people who are, you know, starting businesses. They're trying to start something to replace their job, some sort of lifestyle business. And one of the things that I always struggle with is when I have somebody who comes to me and says, I want to build a business around something that I'm passionate about. And right. sure, that can, happen some, that can happen sometimes, right? But I really struggle with like kind of telling people that maybe building a business around your passion for knitting might not be the best thing. Like maybe there's this other thing yeah. over here that you can focus on that you can develop passion for, right? Like you said, you gain this meaning from being challenged and then solving that challenge. And then I think like the next step is also being told that your solution was good, right? It's sort of this like positive feedback loop and and then you develop and you're like oh actually i really like this because i'm being told i'm good at it and i'm actually helping people and that can kind of help to bring about that sort of level of meaning even if what you're doing isn't necessarily like your favorite thing in the world to do right i think what i'm arguing in my book is to sort of disconnect yourself from all these memes or ideas passion mm -hmm. do what you love they work, but they only make sense after you've done like the inner work of like figuring out what you're good at, things you can commit to, things that resonate with you, things that align with your desires, right? This idea of do what you love, like people think, oh, I'll figure out something I like and then create a company doing it, right? So creating a company, you might be spending several months fundraising from investors. That might have nothing to do with what you're passionate about, mm. right? And you may find that that destroys your energy such that it undermines the actual thing you're passionate about. So I think this is really about shifting from the having mode towards the being mode. And it's, I mean, this is timeless wisdom. It's all about being present and being aware and paying attention, right? Instead of having that identity, this role, this existence of doing what you love, this passionate founder, having a passion, it's what do you like doing? Like at a very raw, basic level. Um, and this drives a lot of people wrong in a lot of careers. People say, okay, I really like helping people. So I'm going to become a nurse. 
Then you become a nurse and you spend 50 to 70% of your time doing administrative work, um, mm. trying to deal with the bureaucracy of a large hospital, uh, being frustrated that certain regulations and systems don't let you actually treat the patient or give them the best health health care. Um, that's going to destroy a lot of people. So if you like helping people, you should start with that and see how you can like expand it slowly. Or at least that's kind of what's worked for me. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, my father-in-law is actually a doctor and he is like right around retirement age. Like he's starting to think about it. But one of the things that he's brought up that's very interesting is like his favorite thing is like people. He just loves talking to people. He loves trying to help them if possible. Like that's his thing about being a doctor is sitting down, talking with the patient, trying to help them out. And one yeah. of the things that he that he's brought up quite a bit recently is like all these computers, I'm spending most of the time now like entering data into computers and not speaking with my patients to the point where if I were a medical student right now, I don't know if I'd want to be a doctor because it completely removes the thing that made me want to do it in the first place. And sometimes even if you lead into it with the best intentions, like you were saying, the the industry can kind of actually reduce the thing that you want to do. And the more legible the path, so a doctor path is incredibly legible. Mm -hmm. I think the easier it is to get distracted by what we really want, right? So I think one of the advantages of being on a path like ours is that oftentimes we're making it up as we go and we don't get distracted by sort of like, I'm going to be a ideal digital nomad. In many ways, we're kind of like creating it as we go. We, we're figuring it out month to month. Suddenly we have no income and we don't know what comes next. And we kind of have to keep testing and experimenting. Right. But saying, oh, I want to be a doctor. Deciding that at 18 years old, that's kind of crazy because you're not going to find out until 28 if you like it. Mm hmm. Right. And for me, I don't, I don't want to sacrifice current years for future payoffs. Mm. I, I sort of did that in the school mode and like work mode in my twenties. I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. Right. And people fall into this trap with saying, Oh, I want to be a digital nomad. It's like, well, you should go live somewhere for a week first and not visit any tourist destinations and just sort of live as a local in an area. Do you like that? <laughs> then right. do two weeks and then do three weeks and then a month, right? The The digital nomad life is just normal to us now. Yeah, I was just talking about this with someone um, on another interview where like you can almost end up falling into the same routine you were trying to escape. And yeah. it's finding a way to make sure that doesn't happen. Like that does take, some effort. Like it does take creating some sort of system to make sure that you don't like we've been here in Puerto Vallarta for six months and I'm kind of realizing that it was maybe too long. Like there's a level of, mm, I'm kind of starting to fall into this like, like boredom, you know, like I, I wish that I had like left a little bit earlier to like refresh, right. And give myself that stimulus to like wake up and like, you know, that sort of thing. Um, speaking about this you know, speaking about like doctors, uh, kind of brought up an interesting, an interesting question for me. One of my best friends is, uh, uh, actually just ended up getting his residency. Uh, congratulations to Nate if he's listening. But one of the interesting things is that we've been friends since high school 
and he's always known he wanted to be a doctor, right? I was kind of like, I don't really know what the fuck's happening. I don't really know. I think I'm gonna go do this thing, but I just never quite knew, right? And we've talked about this before. He's come to visit me here a lot. He tends to kind of like visit us when we're traveling. And one of the interesting differences here is that he's always known what he wanted to do. And there's a level of comfort or calmness around that, right? That he knows exactly the path that he's on. For us and sort of like talking about this pathless path, one of the things that we've been dancing around is that there isn't that comfort, right? We don't have that comfort of knowing exactly where we're headed. And that can certainly be hard, even if you know that that's the right fit for you. Do you have any sort of recommendations or, or, or tips or something that works for you around how to stay, um, I don't know if calm is the right word, but to you know be okay with not being sure of where you're headed, if that makes sense. It's interesting because on this path, I'm way happier and more content than I was on my previous path, even though my my previous path was more predictable. I think I benefited from working in the corporate world for 10 years and slowly coming to realize that that wasn't my path, right? Mm. It had all the built-in predictability. If I just stayed on that path, I'd probably have like a million more dollars than I have now. You went to very good schools. You have a like a great business degree. You've worked for all these big companies that in some way give your like resume, like some level of like high credibility, right? So do you feel like at any point if like shit were to hit the fan, you at least always have like a fallback plan that you know is reliable? Like, do you feel like that gives you some level of comfort? Because I I'll tell you why I'm asking that. I'm the complete opposite yeah. where I was in college and I just had this realization that I didn't want the path that I was on. So I dropped out because I knew I'm too lazy and it's very easy for me to just fall into this like gold handcuffs. And so I dropped out of school. I went on to become a lifeguard to pay my bills uh, just in order to like not, you know, go hungry. I mean, I was living with my parents, so I wouldn't go hungry. But uh, so I've had to kind of like figure it out. But I know that if I don't feel like I don't really have that much of a fallback plan. So entrepreneurship business has to work, right? So do you feel like because you have that background, it affords some level of, hey, I know that the backup plan is like, I'll be fine. Do you know what I mean? It's interesting. So I think there is a danger of going on an unconventional path too early. Mm. My My general advice is to go try to work in the best organizations around the best people possible to get that experience of like working at an extremely high level. That's mm -hmm. probably the best thing I got from consulting. Looking back, I sort of wish I walked away after three or four years rather than 10. Mm. I, I sort of learned those lessons and it, it does give me comfort sort of, but I think it seems more important in other people's minds than mine. To me, it's like, I'm willing to burn down the house to stay on this, <laughs> this path. Like getting people to read my stuff, like maybe it gives me a little credibility, but people aren't going to read my stuff unless it's interesting and engaging. There's thousands of things to read on the internet. So, I mean, my, I've never really had like an explosion in audience. It was I've written 175 newsletter issues. 
Mm. right? And I've written a hundred issues of a previous newsletter and hundreds of posts on Quora and hundreds of posts on my blog. So like five to 500 to a thousand posts on the internet. I think people trust me because I'm communicating clearly, I'm doing what I claim to care about and I show up consistently. Um, is it useful for my background to get hired? Um, yeah, it gets me the conversation, right? But still, I have to do the work and do a good job. There's a sort of difference in the default path world. Like those credentials matter way more than they do in solopreneurs, self-employed world. Oftentimes, the work I'm getting now is either, oh, I've created something online and people are like, oh, that's really cool. Can you do this? And then only then might they find out my background. But often people aren't even asking about my background. Like there's a sort of emergent proof of work world that's coming up. And I think it's just going to be more and more prevalent. So 10 years from now, it'll be crazy to hire someone for like an expert type position unless they've written something publicly and persuasively about it. Yeah, unless they've developed some sort of um, like personal brand. And like sometimes when we think about personal brands, we think about like huge people. But I think most experts uh, or whatever level experts they're going to be, if they carry some sort of expertise, they're going to have they're going to need to have some sort of like recognizable. I like how you put it, a, a proof of work personal brand, essentially. Yeah, I, I've hired some freelancers helping me in the past uh, couple of years. I think I've worked with somebody from Italy. I've worked with somebody from the Czech Republic. I worked with somebody from the US. If you ask me if they have college degrees or not, I don't know. I know for sure a couple of them don't. Uh, I don't know what they studied. I don't know their previous work experience, but I know what they write about and what they do. Mm -hmm. I think it's still so early into this world. Mm -hmm. I basically think the next 20 years, this default path script that has been with us for so long is going to just slowly disintegrate. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's, it's, it's kind of cool. Like I'm wired differently. So I have to pursue this unconventional path. I think if I was your age, I probably would have done it earlier too. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, like, I feel like it's just upside from here, like learning how to reinvent your life, follow different paths, learning how to deal with the ups and downs of financial insecurity. It's just going to make me stronger over the long run and be able to succeed in a future, which seems inevitable to me. Yeah. It's funny too, because, uh, I'm reminded of a conversation I had with Dan Andrews who's, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Tropical MBA podcast, but one of the things that he talked yeah, about was uh, he was like, I started a business because I didn't want to live the life that the job world was offering me. And there was no other way right. for me to have this lifestyle. And you know, the, the interesting thing that he pointed out was he probably would have never become an entrepreneur if remote jobs existed in the way that they do now, because he would have just gone to do that, you know? It's so so there is a, I wonder that this, too. Yeah. It's like, I feel like if these really cool jobs that exist right now for some of these, you know, very, very interesting remote first companies. They existed in 2014 when I dropped out of school. <laughs> I'd have probably been like, 
actually, I'm just going to go do this. You know, I don't need to figure out this whole business thing. And maybe eventually down the road, but it is interesting. Like, that's what I mean. It's like all these kids coming out with YouTube degrees, which I think is really cool, can go do that. You know, they can kind of enter the world in that way. So I, I totally agree with you. Like, I think the world is going to be very interesting, especially as, like, I read a report recently. I, I'm not going to be able to remember where it came from, where they talked about that, uh, this current generation is most likely going to have something like five different careers because with technology, you're going to constantly see this like uh, destruction of careers and, and re like new, like, like creation of new careers coming out. So actually the most important skill is for you to learn how to learn and adapt to this changing economy. Right. So what do you think about that? Like, is that part of the pathless path? kind of like for you of like, Hey, I'm going to be this sort of person for five years and then that might go away. And now I need to rethink of myself into this new different kind of area. What do you think about that? I think there's a deeper layer to this. I think implicit in a lot of these assumptions we have around work is that work is basically the prime aim of life. And I think mm. this is often why taking an unconventional path is still painful. And maybe this is some of the like, tension in your mind when you're saying you kind of have this safety valve of having these credentials is that we still pretty much live in a world dictated by the story of the default path. Mm. Right. So taking a path like ours, we still are constantly aware that we are failing on some degree compared to like what most people are doing. Right. And when people see us, we trigger their insecurities. They're not our insecurities because we've already priced those insecurities into our path. Like what most people experience mm. is they go from like an abstract fear of what if I left my job, I wouldn't know what to do to, oh, I left my job and like it feels somewhat uncertain, but like I just sprinkled that throughout my year in like manageable doses rather than this overwhelming fear that keeps me from taking action, right? So mm. there's this work layer and I think what uh, your friend Dan was saying um, is that he's putting his life first. He's saying, I want this life and then I'm going to work backwards to figure out which kind of work supports that. And that's the same thing I sort of woke up to in my path is that by decentering work, I was able to figure out what's the life where I can thrive. And then that counterintuitively enables you to focus only on the things where you'd actually succeed, right? So my writing opened up when I decentered work in my life and I moved to Taiwan and I had less freelance work to do. I, I told clients I was only working remotely in 2018. The results of that were basically just no clients. <laughs> <laughs> Until two so, years later, you know, everybody had to go remote. Yeah. Um, but I had this space in my life and I started writing and like, I realized, oh, writing is has been important to me. I haven't really noticed it. What if I just prioritize this is like a really important thing. I was still making money, but like writing was always the goal. And my metric of success was, am I losing the motivation and energy to write? If so, something's wrong in my path and I need to fix it. Mm. Now with my book, I've made some money with writing, but I've still not made more than I think six or $7,000 from writing in five years. 
Maybe that will change over the long run. I don't know, but that's work worth doing. So it's shifting from like, I need to be this identity. I need this meaningful work. I need this job. I need this metric of success towards what is the work worth doing? And then how do I build a life around it such that I can keep that going? And like, that's it. That makes me happy. I keep testing this and it works. And I just want to make sure I keep that alive until it no longer works. And but for the most part, it's been a winning formula for the past few years. I also think that, you know, when you said uh, you were talking about, you know, like starting with the life first, right? And, and finding the work that can kind of allow you to, to exist in that life that gives you meaning that you enjoy. I think for some people, that's a very hard question of like, what is that, right? That can actually cause like some sort of anxiety. And so they fill themselves with work because that's easier than figuring out what, what they actually want out of their life. Or do you have any sort of like tips to anyone who that might resonate with on how to start looking for that if they feel like they don't have this, you know, like clear goal of what they want their life to look like outside of work? I think it's a hard thing because I was stuck in this, state of sort of unknown unknowns. I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And that we tell ourselves stories that like, oh, we have it all figured out. I was telling myself the story that, oh, I have enough flexibility in my job. I'm not working too much. I have it all figured out. I'm winning. I'm hacking the system, making it work for me. Right? What was missing was this hidden possibility, hidden way of structuring my life, these degrees of freedom that I didn't know existed until I met other people doing it, hearing other stories, and I tested it in my own life. One problem to be aware of when you're on a successful path or working full-time is literally no one will ever ask you, why are you doing what you do? Mm -hmm. When you're on an uncertain path, I guarantee people ask you all the time, why do you do this? Why don't you just get a job? Why do you have to be like this? (laughs) Especially from like older relatives and it can be really painful. Um, So the the reason to take an unconventional path sometimes, I think for me, what I kind of sensed was if I go take this path, I'm going to be in a state where I constantly have to reflect and figure it out. And it's real easy to go through life telling our stories that we have it all figured out and we know what we're doing. I much prefer being on an unconventional path because I'm in a constant state of being humbled. I might say something I believe and then the next week I'm just proven wrong. Mm. And then writing is an added accountability for me. I I sort of have to write about, I, I was wrong, I screwed up, I'm still trying, I'm still tinkering, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, I remember this is a very specific moment where um we were talking about COVID before COVID became a thing. And I was like, no, like, I, I think it's going to be fine. Like, I think we're over-exaggerated. And like three <laughs> weeks later, I was like, oh shit. Like that did not, that did not play out at all. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Obviously I was wrong, but yeah. I think accountability is important because like you said, like, and I don't like erasing accountability. This is like an important thing. Like if you make a mistake, I think it's important to like kind of say like, yeah, like I made a mistake. Like let's move on from that. Like, let me learn from that. Well, you're human too. Right. I think like the thing I try to convey in my writing and work is that I don't have it figured out yet. Here are some things I think I've figured out, and but I'm still humble enough to know that I could always be wrong. 
I want mm. kids at some point and I don't know what the path means for me on that with kids. But people look at my path and say, well, you can't do this if you have kids. Right, right, right. And that is that is just a belief in their head. For me, I look at life completely different now. I don't look at this is possible or not possible. This is the way you have to live. This is the way you can't live. It's, okay, what do I need? What am I trying to achieve? What are the possible ways of structuring that? It's a very first principles approach to life. Yeah, it's saying what what do we want? What are we trying to aim for? What are the ways of achieving that? Yeah, it's interesting because, so my wife and I, we, my wife is just loves dogs, right? And with the lifestyle that we have, it's really hard to own a dog. And we just, you know, have been talking about it. And one thing that we realized was we were doing this and we always had this idea of like, this may be when we, when we settled down, right. was kind of like a conversation that we had. Like when we settle down, we'll get a dog. When we settle down this. And the thing that we're realizing is like, we don't really want to settle down. Like, I don't really see a future in which that's like a thing. Like I kind of want to live my life in a very similar way to the one that we live right now going, you know, forward. So if we want a dog, we might as well get a dog now. And so that has been something where we decided to get a dog. And immediately everyone was like, no, you can't get a dog with your life. It's not, <laughs> it's not going to work. And like, we we're like, well, let's like look at the facts and see like, what do we need to figure out in order to make sure that that works? Um, and I'm very excited actually for the challenge. Like at first I was definitely a little, um, I don't really know if I want that stress in my life and, you know, it's going to reduce some things, but there were, it's kind of interesting now to say, if we believe this is going to be a life going forward and owning a dog, something that's important to us, let's yeah. figure it out now. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's see what we need to do. So, uh, I totally agree with you that if you want to, like you can kind of figure it out. Right. I love that. Yeah. And it's not that it's possible or not possible. It's that there's a cost, right? There's a financial exactly. cost for sure. Um, there's a logistics cost and there's kind of like a time cost. Right. And it's, for me, it's, are you willing to pay those? Mm. So I'm always figuring out what is the price of something and then what are you willing to pay for that, mm. right? So Angie and I get a lot of joy out of being like in city centers where we can walk places and where we could bike ride, right? So the cost of that is like probably smaller apart and more expensive rent, especially when we're in the U.S., um, so that means, okay, I'll probably have to work a little more, like push a little harder on the consulting stuff. Am I okay with that cost? Yes, because it makes my life better. You know, I think it's healthy for people to pursue like what you talk about in terms of like a pathless path, like not, or at least not feeling like they have to follow the traditional path, right? Like having the, the choice there. But one of the unfortunate realities is that, especially in the United States, so much of our life is actually connected to having a full-time job, right? Like when you think about health insurance, mm -hmm. if you think about getting a mortgage for a house, like these are all things that aren't necessarily impossible to figure out if you don't have a full-time job, but they are certainly more difficult. So what do you think needs to change or what are the... the sort of the things that you hope happen over the next 10, 20 years to make this sort of non-traditional path easier? By definition, the non-traditional path will probably always be more difficult. 
right? If our path becomes mainstream, we might just invent a whole new path just because we're <laughs> like, we, we don't want to do that. Uh-huh. I think the, the trap of being on a path like this, though, is resenting the way things are. I try to figure out, okay, what is the reality? The reality is the U.S. government is sort of hostile towards worker, like workers mm-hmm. like us. <laughs> like just all the healthcare and taxes, it's, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like that's the reality. So am I willing to pay the cost for that? Am I willing to exist in that? Now, if I think about the future, I'm not too optimistic in the short term, but I think over the long term, like it just inevitably has to get more efficient and uh, more options emerging. I think innovation solving a lot of the healthcare issues, will they be solved in 5, 10, or 15 years? I don't know. Mm. Right. But we already have things like telemedicine and like once you can like get medicine from other countries and like um, start self-treating a little more and medicine is a little more democratized. So we'll probably get better and like insurance won't be the way we orient towards health. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think... Uh, I don't know how to fix the healthcare thing. I know the current system Paul, is terrible. This is why I'm having you on the podcast, man. We need you health want insurance me to solutions this? right now. I'm just kidding. Well, I, th- I think I think there's an enormous psychological cost that far too many people are paying that would otherwise be spent towards more creative and entrepreneurial means. Mm. So I actually think we're at the point with the healthcare system in which it probably is a net negative financially and psychologically for the country. Mm. Except there's no single one one person that can change it. It's this big complex beast that sort of like eats everything. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, and I I don't really have faith that it will improve in the short term, but yeah, it's it's a terrible thing because I mean, a lot of people who end up becoming self-employed end up like starting businesses often like three to five years down the road they kind of get excited about an idea double down on it start hiring employees and building stuff that's what that's great (laughs) like we need more of that people Mm -hmm. that are doing that are usually more connected to the world themselves and other people what do you think the future of work looks like in the next you know, 10, 20 years, like, what are you, what are you seeing in the, in the, you know, in the trajectory of that? What are some of the things that you're looking forward to? So I think the whole future of work, uh, space is sort of just filled with a lot of wishful thinking and nonsense. Mm. (laughs) There's, I wrote an article about this saying there's basically five different ways of five different conversations happening with the future of work. I think there's like the trends, automation, AI, there's like the gig economy, there's like the corporate meaningful work memes. That's like a lot of culture PR. There's the personal transformation of like the Tim Ferriss stuff. And then there's the um, sort of philosophical conversation of like, is work too central in our lives? Mm -hmm. So those are five different conversations. I think the one that's the most interesting is probably like how the overall system is going to change. Like I think AI technology, software, it's really shifting people in a direction of like working more like us. 
Mm-hmm. Even if you're at a job, you're sort of a remote worker anyway. Even if you're in an office, most people take all their meetings and do video calls at their desk with other people in the same office. Right. And as technology and software makes that easier and like helps us think and go deeper and synthesize ideas, a lot more stuff is going to be automated, which means starting companies is even easier. So if you have any expertise in any direction, like the ability to just like spin up a company is like trivial. Mm. That's only been true for what, five years? I remember my first year when I was self-employed, like realizing Stripe existed. It's like, oh my gosh, this makes everything so easy. But even then it was still difficult. Now it's so much easier. Yeah, I know people who have like their entire company is basically like one really intense Zapier zap and it's just, you know, (laughs) like it's on autopilot. So it's completely, uh, you know, doable. What about, you know, in wrapping up, I want to be respectful of your time, but if people are listening to this and I highly suggest they go out there and and they get your book because I think it it raises some really interesting questions and you have some really great insight on, on this stuff. But uh, one thing they, you know, people listening might be left with is like, okay, so you get on this pathless path, you separate yourself from the traditional, you know, work centric existence. What does your life look like now? Like day to day, can you give us a little bit of like, what does life just like, like look like for you? What's the difference? It's a bit different every day. Yesterday I was uh, doing a bit of writing in the morning. And then a friend texted me and said, Hey, you want to go for a bike ride later? He was going at like two 30. So I went and met him. Um, I love that sort of like spontaneity in my life. Part of why I'm in Austin is like, there's a lot of people on unconventional paths. So there's like people mm-hmm. to hang out with in the middle of the day. Um, then I met up with another friend, went for a walk and then I came home and then at night I did like a little more writing. And today was pretty chill. This morning I was doing some reading. Um, I went for a walk, then I worked out, then I'm doing this podcast. Um, I might go co-write with some friends at a cafe after this. And then I don't know. And then tomorrow all I have is like a podcast scheduled where I'm talking about the book again. And uh, there's a lot of open space. So like ongoing projects I'm working on, I'm trying to do some stuff for my consulting skills business. Um, but I, I don't have a lot of like, I don't start with the intention of like, I need to wake up and work most days. Mm. Um, I sort of prioritize life. And then if I don't have anything going on, that's when I try to work on like creative projects or things that energize me. That made me (laughs) this idea of like, uh, living in Austin because there's a lot of other people that you can hang out with at two 30 is so funny because (laughs) I remember when we, when my wife and I quote unquote became digital nomads and we found ourselves in the middle of the day going like, okay, well, but like, what is the point of this? Because we we still can't do anything until five o'clock when all of our friends get off. So we're just stuck working nine to five anyways, because there's nothing else to do in between that time. So even when you are free, you kind of end up having to follow that traditional, you know, like time block kind of yeah. thing. So it's, it's funny. I totally. And that's why a lot of people become nomads. <laughs> yeah. Like I was in Boston my first year being self-employed and I basically had no one work doing anything except Monday to Friday work. 
and that's why I went abroad. And there were people working all weird hours. I think one thing that happened when I was living abroad, living in nomad expat communities, is like I just worked when I didn't have stuff going on in my life. So Saturday working wasn't a big deal. Like I might take Monday to explore because there'd be less tourists in an area. And uh, yeah, just totally refactoring how I think about like work, work week, work month, work life, and really structuring that around my energy, the seasons, the weather, and uh, what's coming up and exciting in my life. Yeah, I I love that, man. Well, Paul, I want to be respectful of your time. Like I said, um, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a, yeah. a ton of fun. An hour just passed by uh, super, super fast. Let people know where can they find the book. I highly recommend them checking it out. And then also, like, where can people connect with you online, see more of your writing, and and just follow you? I think if you Google the Pathless Path Paul, it will come up. Uh, Osho also wrote a book called The Pathless Path, but I think I'm out, I've am out. i outsold him, which is amazing. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, just go to think-boundless.com. You can find most of me from there. Just Google my name. I'm the only one on the internet. So that's pretty easy. Perfect. Well, Paul, thank you so much again. Uh, this has been a, to- a total blast and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again sometime in the future. Awesome. Look forward to it. Mm-hmm.